Hi everyone, welcome back to part 29 of the Anti-Hate Conversation series. For our first-time podcast listeners, I'm your host, Mariam, the Anti-Hate Initiative's Project Manager here at Council of Agencies Serving South Asians, better known as CASA. As for some CASA updates, I'm very excited to announce that we just launched our social media campaign called Eradicate Hate as part of our collaborative to combat online hate. We would love it if you would check out our socials at CASA Online on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and soon TikTok as well. In this episode, Ryan Chan and I discuss online hate, the government's proposed legislation in the form of Bill C-36, algorithms, machine learning, and third-party reporting, and what our role is as community members and organizations when tackling online hate. Ryan Chen is a social advocate who has a legal background from the University of Toronto. He is committed to affecting social change and also serves on the board of directors at the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers Ontario and acted as a consultant for the World Wildlife Fund Canada. Ryan's focus is on social media and tackling online racism. We're so excited to have you as a guest on the podcast today, Ryan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Could you introduce yourself and your own work and what you've been up to lately? Yeah, so um, I work for the Chinese Canadian National Council for Social Justice. Um, My work primarily focuses on online hate and social media regulations. So, you know, with the past year uh, and a half of uh, uh, COVID-related racism, um, you know, this has really pre- presented itself as like one of the major barriers to um, tackling racism in, for the Asian Canadian community. So, you know, I'm focused on uh, working with uh, other community organizations, with the government to um, ensure that online hate is addressed, uh, to ensure that social media platforms are regulated and to try to stem the flow of online hate and misinformation. Thank you for introducing yourself and your work, which seems very crucial and important, especially right now. Could you start by briefly summarizing how algorithms and machine learning perpetuates harmful information to begin with? Uh, Yeah, so I guess it's, you know, this is like the subject of a little bit of controversy, but you can actually find a lot of this information on Facebook, albeit they won't tell you exactly how that works. You kind of have to do a little bit of bridging the gap yourself. So essentially what you'll notice when you look at your social media timeline. So, you know, for example, your Facebook timeline, uh, your news feed, uh, something like that. Essentially what you're seeing is what you'll notice is it's not chronological, right? Uh, the posts that you see seem to be in some kind of random order. The truth is that order is not random. So Facebook admits this. Essentially what they're doing is they're presenting to you the information that their algorithms have decided um, are most likely to engage you. So they are literally like timing the kinds of interactions, uh, you know, how long you look at a particular post, what kind of content you're more likely to click into. And essentially that gives them like a profile of, you know, who you are, what you're interested in. And so essentially because their entire business model is based on, you know, retaining your attention, ensuring that you continue to, you know, look at their content. They're going to continue to feed you the kind of content that interests you. 
And what they've discovered and, you know, what um, the stats show is that like provocative and often harmful information is far more interesting, you know, for example, like misinformation, online hate, it's far more interesting to people, you know, whether or not like, you know, it, it's aggravating for people who are victims of it, but it's interesting for people who are like, oh, you know, like, let's play a little bit of devil's advocate. And so essentially what happens is a lot of these algorithms end up, you know, unintentionally, I suppose, promoting uh, online hate and misinformation. That's kind of how it's spread. Thanks for summarizing that. Um, why do you think people feed into it so easily? Because a lot of times, honestly, like even when you even when you engage a little bit, it seems like it really it really keeps coming back. Why do we Why do we tend to just feed into the into the into into false information or misinformation? Um, and so, is it is it a part of our human nature to like? favor comfort and convenience so we just kind of click on whatever is clickbaity and then that just kind of perpetuates more misinformation yeah so certainly that's that's part of it right so it's important to remember that like social media companies they employ a lot a lot of very very intelligent people who you know psychologists programmers and their aim is to keep your attention keep you interested show you the kind of content that you know they're really tapping into like you know base human psychology, right? You know, like, it's like, oh, I wonder what that meant. You know, like, for example, like once upon a, like, you know, I, I, I see like a YouTube video that's like, you know, got some like interesting, like you wouldn't believe this, right? Like, you know, like what kind of, you know, a normal person is obviously gonna be like, oh, what wouldn't I believe? And that's like a very natural, normal response. But the problem is that, you know, social media companies and, you know, and, and users have, uh, unfortunately, like commodified that, right? So they're taking these like catchy headlines and they're feeding you these like, you know, it's, it's just so much more interesting than real news because, you know, real news, real life is is boring, right? It's not as nearly as exciting as like, you know, you wouldn't believe what happens next, right? So um, unfortunately, what happens is just people end up going like deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Um, social media algorithms continue to feed you similar content that's continually you know, grabbing your attention, fighting for your attention. Uh, and, you know, like you said, it, it kind of like becomes this kind of echo chamber where you're just kind of seeing and hearing the same kinds of thing. And next thing you know, you think that the world agrees with this like crazy, you know, like idea or a conspiracy theory. Yep, I've definitely been down those rabbit holes. And oftentimes, I don't even know how I ended up there. But somehow, um, YouTube knows exactly how I ended up there. So I definitely agree. You start to you start to really do, you start to question your own opinions sometimes when you go down these rabbit holes. And like for folks who are really bent on finding ways to prove their ideology or their thinking, this is like the perfect way to do it, right? Um, so thank you for going into that. And uh, I want to move into a little bit of like the technical end of it in terms of um, legislation. Could you talk a little bit about um, Bill C-36 and folks uh, saying that it pro like puts limits on freedom of speech? Um, what exactly is Bill C-36 and how do you even respond to that argument about freedom of speech? Because that seems to be what everyone always circles back to when it comes to uh, putting regulations in online hate or on online content to begin with. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll quickly summarize Bill C-36. So essentially, uh, it does two things. One, it basically puts in writing uh, the current state of the law. It's not as exciting as, you know, perhaps the, uh, the government may make you want to think or perhaps the, you know, or their opponents may want you to think that they're like pushing the limits. It's already there. Uh, the Supreme Court has already ruled on, you know, what constitutes hate speech and essentially they're just codifying it in the criminal code. So the only real change is that they're reintroducing Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. Um, essentially, it's providing like a civil recourse for people who um, are the victims of hate speech and in particular uh, tackles online hate, which is only uh, achievable through federal legislation due to the separation of powers. Um, and so effectively, this is a, a the, the civil remedy in case you know, you're the victim of hate speech and you can go after um, you know, people who are injuring you and uh, those people may suffer, uh, you know, civil penalties uh, or be required to stop their activities. Um, so, you know, like this, uh, it certainly is a step forward, but, you know, from my mind, we had this section actually in 2014. You know, this section is not new. It's not that amazing because it is a, going to be a very long tribunal, expensive tribunal process that could take a long, long time uh, and potentially, you know, just really has like no effect. Um, you know, I, I believe sometime uh, it was over a period of seven years. Uh, there was something to the effect of, you know, 30 cases uh, that were ultimately prosecuted, right, um, in the previous rendition of Section 13. And so really, it's just not a particularly exciting or effective tool, especially when we're dealing with like online harms, uh, online hate, the, the amount of content there that could be in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, right? So what is, you know, 30 cases over the course of several years uh, going to do? Um, so, you know, the, the problem is whenever we talk about, you know, social media regulations, we come to this argument about freedom of speech. You know, freedom of speech is obviously a very, very important um, right, it's in our charter under section two. Um, and so, you know, freedom of speech, first of, all, uh, first, first of all, under under the charter, it's freedom of expression. Um, freedom of speech being the American version um, of the term, but it's a lot catchier. The thing is, you know, everyone's always like, whenever you hear like social media regulations, what we're gonna hear is the people are worried that, you know, it's gonna be, like the, the 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 free speech police, they're going to be breaking down the doors. It's going to be the the uh, the security agencies, or they're going to be listening on our on our phones, and you know we're going to become a police state. You know this is like this is an ancient ancient argument that has been put to rest as far back as 1990, right? So we're talking 30 years ago. We already had an answer to this, and essentially the answer is that while yes, okay. Freedom of speech is impaired when we regulate, uh, you know, social media online harms. Uh, you know, when we are tackling the issue of hate speech, right? So there is a limitation. Nobody's going to dispute that. But the issue is that first of all, we know that hate speech is not true, right? So the value of that particular free speech is very limited you know that, that doesn't just because it's limited doesn't mean that it's entirely you know okay to trample admittedly but what you have to balance that against is the fact that it's statistically proven that hate speech against you know 
individuals, uh, you know, based on their race, uh, religion, it actually has a chilling effect on those voices, right? So you're effectively saying that, uh, so essentially that 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 speech, ha- it, it, it tramples the very right it's purporting to promote, right? So you're saying that like, oh, it's my freedom of speech to say all these hateful things. But what happens is when you say those hateful things, you're effectively saying, stop listening to people of color, to people of other religions, and effectively, you're saying that like only listen to my speech. Don't worry about theirs. So like this argument that I feel that 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 you're saying that like oh it's in the interests of everyone. It's in the interests of free speech. It's actually like not true because it's actually counterintuitive to the free speech of other people. And so when you balance that, this low value speech, this low value, hateful, untrue speech versus the voices of minorities, people of color, uh, uh, religious minorities, you know. For me, it's like a no-brainer that like regulation is necessary. That's such an interesting way of putting it that other other people's hate speech is ultimately infringing on the voices of minorities and thus removing their right to freedom of expression as well. Um, yeah, and, such and, an important you know, part. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like you know, I I don't want to take credit for this. This is the Supreme Court of Canada saying this, you know, this is like well established, you know, the highest level of law of jurisprudence, right? This is not like me falling with my friends and, you know, like coming up with this, this is law, you know, the Supreme Court has decided that this is the case, right? Mm -hmm. Back in 1990, that's 30 years ago. So the idea that like, you know, you know, certain, individuals are still coming out and being like but my freedom of speech it, it's like boggling to me people and, and certainly from from the people that i've heard it from they should know better yeah it's just dated now right like the same argument over and over again mm-hmm. um without is, any you know, critical thinking exactly and and to those interested this is the keegstra case k-e-e-g-s-t-r-a so look it up thank you for that um so why do you think the narrative is being pushed about anti-hate online? Uh, the responsibility of um, online hate content falls on the individual rather than the responsibility of corporations or social media platforms, because there is this discussion of holding social media companies accountable um, as well as individuals. But why can it not just be, why is it, why are we constantly t- being told that, oh, it's the individual's responsibility to, you know, report it, or it's their responsibility to block people or report them, but the responsibility should be on corporations. Do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I, I certainly agree that the responsibility should be on the social media corporations. And to me, I, I I actually don't even understand why we have to have this discussion, right? Like, why are people so adamant that social media companies, you know, the people who control the flow of information, right? Like, as we discussed, um, you know, it's not just a chronological timeline. They ha- They play an active role in deciding what we do and do not see. So why is it that the social media companies are not the ones being held responsible? Like, I, I, I honestly can't really tell you why certain people um, feel that it should be on the individual. Perhaps it feels like less controversial. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for, for that. But to, in my mind, it's almost certainly the role of the, the responsibility of the social media uh, platforms uh, and corporations to 
you know, ensure that their platforms are a safe space for people that to, to be accepting of regulations, right? You know, certain social media companies, they always say like, you know, Facebook, they're trying to say like, yo, we support regulation. We just want to know what's happening. And yet when it comes down to like regulations actually being put forward, it seems like there's all this pushback, right? Not just from the corporations, but from people as well. So, you know, uh, I, I would actually love to know why people think that, um, social media companies shouldn't be regulated and why they shouldn't be penalized for failing to um, follow those regulations, given that it shouldn't be on individuals. Yeah, and it's it's really, really bizarre to me as well, because I know you mentioned in the op-ed that you wrote that we regulate television, radio, newspapers, and we hold them liable. So why do we, why do we hold social media companies to a different standard and is it just because it's not even I wouldn't even say social media is new anymore it's it's like 20 years old where it's this is 20 plus years old it's not new right why why are we delaying the regulation of social media companies and why do we treat them differently because ultimately they are publishers ultimately they are the ones like you said who control the flow of information and so they do have a responsibility they have an ethical and a moral responsibility and we don't hold them to that account unfortunately exactly and yeah like you said you know we like tv like newspapers we you don't see hate speech there you don't see like pornography there right because we have as a society decided that those things are not something that we should just push onto people or be exposed to or like you know like misinformation similarly right can't just be willy-nilly on all of those platforms so given that social media is like an integral part of our lives i think today i saw statistics something to the effect of like 94 percent of people uh, have a social media account or presence right that's a you know, it's a part of our daily lives. I think that anyone listening to this podcast, it's a part of your daily lives. So why is it that something that is so much more impactful in our lives is not regulated? Yep, exactly. And to that, um, my, my concern also, I kind of, I'm concerned about who sets the standard for what hate content is. If we do push social media companies to regulate or to have standards, um, who do you think they should be consulting when it comes to setting these standards? Because a lot of times we've, we've seen in the past few months that social media companies will decide who to censor and who not to censor and what topics to censor. And sometimes, a lot of the times, disproportionately, minorities are being targeted and their content is being removed as opposed to actual hate groups who are spewing extremely hateful content. And so where, how do we integrate like con consulting proper experts and proper community organizations and proper activists to set these standards? Would you, would you agree that that's also an issue? Yeah, so absolutely, we need to be consulting like advocates and, you know, people of color in particular who, you know, have all these diverse perspectives because we are the most disproportionately impacted by it, right? This idea that like the social media companies, you know, they're, they're always going to claim that they have strong um, standards, they have strong, uh, you know, they have experts and whatever, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's just still so much online hate, right? So like, you know, absolutely, we have to be consulting organizations, you know, like, like the ones that we represent, right? Because we have been in this sphere, we have done the research, we have been advocating for this for so long, right? And, you know, 
uh, I just think that it's very important that, you know, we don't just allow social media companies to go back and become their own black boxes and they make a private decision, who knows how, and, you know, without any sort of transparency and they, they get to come out and they say, well, look, we do so much. And then we say like, oh, okay, what are you exactly doing? And they're saying like, we can't share that information. So, you know, like why, like, you know, again, like people are always so afraid of like, oh, government intervention, you know, uh, like it, it's so much better that we ensure that, um, it's so much better somehow that we give powerful multinational billion dollar corporations the ability to manipulate us but god forbid like if the government does anything it's like it's the end of the world whereas you know these these corporations they they're they're their sole focus is on money and so when it comes to like making money that means that their loyalty or whatever or their their you know, their motivation, it, it, it depends on like, you know, who is the highest bidder and why is that more acceptable than like the government that we democratically elect um, coming in and, you know, consulting the public and then co creating community standards. You know, to me, again, it's like kind of a no brainer why we would be afraid of the multi-billion dollar corporation. And, you know, as opposed to trust that our community, our democratically elected government can make competent choices i find it so ironic that people worry about their freedom of speech being infringed on um when they're they're consistently being manipulated by what they see on social media platforms they're they're always like so even with the all all the um anti-vax sentiments um, they're so worried that the government or not even the government, they, they're so worried that people are pushing a pro-vax agenda that like they're not seeing how they're being manipulated by the very things that they're afraid of. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? It's so ironic to me. It's like, do you not see that either way you are being manipulated to think a certain way and you think you have a very like original opinion or original ideology and you're actually speaking out against social media companies. The reality is, these organizations, these corporations are the ones that are perpetuating or they're the ones that are, you know, influencing how you're thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Everything you see on social media is controlled by the social media companies and they're black boxes. We have no idea, you know, what and how they're controlling um, that information. So like why that is more acceptable than like a transparent democratically elected system uh, you know, it boggles the mind for me. Yep. Um, and I know you mentioned that uh, Bill C-36 falls short. And I would I want to kind of uh, dive into that a little bit. Why does it fall short? Like, where does current legislation stand on this? And uh, what what does ideal legislation look like when it comes to regulation on social media companies? Yeah, so certainly I think it falls short because it fails to account for scale. Um, you know, Bill C-36 doesn't do anything to the social media companies, right? It's about individuals who are victims, you know, somehow gathering up the mental energy, the resources, uh, and then, or, you know, or, or delegating it to the, the Human Rights Tribunal to do, do that investigation, do that entire uh, prosecutorial process. So it's a long and painful experience um, and for really like, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to prosecute like seven people or seven organizations a year. So versus like the, 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 the massive amount of 
online hate on social media platforms, that's not something you can tackle through the old school, you know, way back in, I don't know, I'm forgetting my history books, but you know, this has this been the same system of law for 100, you know, 100, 200, 300 years, right? Um, so, you know, I don't see human processes as being the solution to resolving online hate. I think that um, if you want to tackle online hate on that massive scale, you need to be able to fight fire with fire. Social media companies, uh, they control information through uh, their algorithms. Similarly, we need to make use of artificial intelligence through algorithms to, um, to, to identify and screen out hateful content. And, you know, like, again, people are going to be like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. We're getting robots to... Um, you know, who, who aren't human to decide what we can and cannot say. But again, that's already happening. You know, like I, I cannot emphasize this enough. So that is exactly what social media companies are already doing. So before everyone like, you know, freaks out, I, I really encourage people to like think about that, whether or not it's okay that we just use, allow these profit-driven corporations who, you know, who are not accountable to anyone, but maybe the shareholders and the you know executives um, to basically decide and use these uh, artificial intelligence or algorithms um, to decide the flow of where, where the flow of information is going. I think your cat agrees. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, don't apologize. So could you discuss the possible solutions you outlined um, in your op-ed that I read? And uh, could you tell us more about like any artificial intelligence tools that you're working on or that you know of? Yeah, so um, there are so many possible solutions, uh, you know, to regulating social media companies. And, you know, not every, so every solution has its, has its pros and cons. And, you know, I encourage people after you hear this to like, go look it up, like think about it. Um, think about some of these solutions, you know, why do you or do you not like them? And also consider the context. You know, again, we're talking about like potentially like hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, hateful comments uh, online and how we're tackling this like massive, massive, unique 21st century problem. So, you know, one solution is to hold social media companies as publishers, right? The same way, way we hold uh, news, uh, newspapers, um, you know, uh, like TV stations, uh, like as, as publishers, because they control, like I said, they control the flow of information. And so in this way, like we said, you cannot post, you know, like, uh, like sexually explicit images on, uh, on TV, you cannot post hate speech, misinformation on TV, on in newspapers, because and because what happens is, um, they can be held civilly liable for the damage that that content causes. So in that way, if we were to, you know, determine that social media companies are similarly publishers, you know, I, I like to think that certainly that kind of content would begin to disappear because, again, these social media companies are so concerned about their profit margins, I'm sure they can find a way to um, ensure that that content does not remove it. And, you know, before people say like, you know, Facebook says like, oh, there's a hundred billion posts a day. How could we possibly um, know what's being posted or like, you know, remove content on that level? First of all, you know, their entire business model is based on the fact that they know what you post 
they know what to feed you. And so, you know, based on that, they can definitely identify, um, you know, hateful comment content. And, you know, if you need an example of, um, of their abilities, like you'll notice that on social media, on traditional social media platforms, you they're pretty good at, for example, removing child porn pornography, right? Um, so like, you know, this idea that they are, don't have the capabilities to do that kind of work, is just, it's just ludicrous. Um, so, you know, again, holding them as publishers is one solution. Another solution is that they remove hateful content that's been reported. Um, this would have to be a combination with, uh, again, like artificial intelligence tools, which I guess I can discuss in a second. Um, but if essentially, if we have the tools, uh, you know, either through a regulatory body, someone who's able to peek behind the curtain and, you know, automatically detect and report um, hateful content for removal, and there's a requirement for social media companies to remove that content within 24 hours, um, as you know, and, and uh, or, or face penalties. Then again, this could potentially be a solution. So. Um, I guess that kind of moves to our artificial intelligence tool. Um, it's currently in the beta version. Uh, currently, it works on Twitter because Twitter has the benefit of being entirely public. So essentially what our tool has done, it uses machine learning. So first of all, we took um, tweets that used like human identified racist hashtags and the tool trawled through uh, Twitter and, you know, picked up on um, tweets that use this hashtag. And then looking at those hashtags that identified certain words that um, were associated with these hateful tweets. And, you know, after you screen out like certain words like and and or, um, you're left with certain words that um, are basically like consistently used in anti, for example, Chinese uh, sentiments. And so yeah. what you can do is you take those words and you run it again without the requirement that they use the racist hashtag and you're able to identify hateful uh, tweets that even if they don't use racist hashtags so you know it's like when people hear like artificial intelligence like you know algorithms ai it, it's like oh this is like crazy like space tech it's actually not that complicated it's also it's not that like wild technology um and so this idea that like you're billion dollar companies cannot come up with a solution when, you know, us on a shoestring budget, you know, with very little resources are able to come up with a tool that works, you know, it's not perfect. It's going to need a lot more work, but, you know, we hope to share the results of, you know, our, 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 um, our, um, our tool very soon. But the fact that, you know, in, with, with basically, you know, no budget, we're able to create these tools. This idea that like a billion dollar company is not able to do the same thing that, and that is able to access all of the information, all of the data to see all of the content that is on their platform. It's again, you know, crazy to me that they would say it's impossible. It's not impossible. They just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it makes uh, money, right? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I saw like a new uh, feature on Instagram well, first of all, your the tool sounds brilliant. I'm 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 interested to see like what comes out of that and like what the tweaks would look like and how that would like function, if that could be implemented. But um, I did see this new feature on Instagram. I don't know if you've seen the fact checker banner on any of the posts. Oh, I have. Um, yeah, I think it's a new That's one cool. because yeah. I'm. 
I saw a fact checker banner and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Like um, they're finally doing some fact checking and without like, you know, like on their own, without having to be like um, told to do it. And um, I mean, of course, they've been told to do it, but um, it just it was the thing is, though, they were fact checking something that. I don't even know how to say this, but they were basically, so it was, um, so the post was about um, Palestine and they fact-checked and said that that was causing harm. And that was, like I said, that was interesting to me because like the standards that these social media companies set, they set internally. They don't consult, they don't ask, um, they don't uh, con- confirm. And they and it feels like they're they are pushing a certain ideology and a certain agenda and which is interesting to me again because we constantly talk about freedom of speech but they're clearly telling you what to think by choosing specific kinds of fact checkers and fact checking only certain information and so that also needs to be regulated because I feel like that that's another aspect of um while fact-checking is important, what exactly are you fact-checking? Who are you employing to fact-check? Uh, what kind of agendas are you purposefully pushing? And what are you censoring? Those are all like really important and critical discussions we need to have because we are con- continuously being told a certain um, ideology through social media platforms. And it's not enough to say, oh, they're fact-checking, which is great. What exactly are they fact-checking? And who exactly are they employing to do that fact-checking? So I think... Those are all really important um, questions to also keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, it's funny because, you know, I, I've actually been on a call uh, with, you know, one of the social media platforms and their position is that they do consult people. They do have like some kind of like advisory board that they say com- consists of, you know, certain community organizations, but you know, like, how do I know that's true? Like, sure, you can say it. And there's, because there's no way for me to prove that it's not true because it's a black box, right? They won't release anything, right? It's up to them what they do and do not tell you. Um, and they can say like, oh, we can solve these groups. Like, don't worry. But, you know, like, again, like, it's like two things. Like, one, it's a black box. Do they actually do anything? I don't know. But they can say that they're doing something and nobody would ever know. Um, and again, like, you know, if for everyone concerned about their freedom of speech, why are you not concerned that, you know, social media companies, they're internally deciding what they can and cannot regulate and decide is, you know, is going to be pushed, you know, like, why are we not concerned about that? Like, because they're accountable to no one, you know, the government is at least, they, they have a requirement to be transparent to the people, right? Like, if you have a government process, it would be an open con- consultation, it would be an open process, an accountable process, and they are democratically elected government like how is this not safer than you know the black box profit driven multi-billion dollar like you know multinational corporations yeah um and from this conversation i just know there's like so much more that needs to be done so many people that need to be consulted so many people so many opinions that are and so many expert opinions and experiences that are not being taken into account mm-hmm. um and i think it just this conversation unfortunately i feel like we we keep coming back and forth to like 
because we had section 13 and that got removed and then we keep coming it just feels like we keep coming back to like should that be reinstated or not and then that's where the conversation yeah. stops right um and so with this conversation it feels like so much more needs to be done and so much more needs to be talked about and i also want to like add um like the implementation of perhaps third-party reporting using community organizations who are well-trusted in the community and utilizing them to take um, hate crime reports, to take, um, to be able to be, to be, to be able to have the resources available to them that they can accept hate crime reports and, um, and do the work that way and funnel them to the right in the right places because as we know a lot of minorities also have really adverse um have had really adverse um experiences with authorities and so they don't always want to go to the authorities so there needs to be other mechanisms for reporting hate crimes too um thank you so much ryan for all of your um input and i learned so much and i'm sure all our podcast listeners also have a lot to think about no, thank you so much for having me. Like, I, I really think this conversation is so important. I, I really appreciate your insights um, and, you know, for doing this work. Of course. Thank of course. you so much. There was a lot of important information jam-packed into that episode, and I hope it was enlightening for you as it was for me. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next time. Bye for now.